and a gentleman, and I knew him before uh, he was with you uh, because of his work up at Atwood, Tennessee. And I told, I told him he left his mark. Mark left his mark up there. And that is a sweet and beautiful congregation, and he's one of the reasons why. And so um, thank you, Mark, for your kind words. And I want to thank the elders for giving me this opportunity to be with you and to talk to you about this series and what this is is an ongoing conversation. It's not, um, it's, these messages are not like standalone. They're all linked to and connected to others. And so what we did is we got sort of acquainted last week with the message uh, that I'm going to be delivering to you. And then each week this month, each Wednesday night this month, I'll make another installment. But what it is, is a continuing conversation. But first of all, how do you like my, uh, my, my hair? I mean, I, I worked hard on styling my hair tonight. And, and I had one wild one sticking up. And uh, I thought, I can't go to Midway with that like that. And so, and I really hated it. I don't need to lose anymore, you understand? And I really hated to, but I, I, with a trembling hand, I reached up there and, you know, and it stung. It hurt, too. And with teary eyes, I looked close in the mirror and... I pulled the wrong one, and I just gave up there. I thought, oh, well, I'll just, you know. Now I've got six. I did have seven. Now I've got six up there. And as I told you last week, my wife, um, she said she decided that, uh, that she would accept my proposal in marriage because uh, I was funny and that I had good hair and that maybe our kids would have good hair. And surely enough, they do. They have good hair. Two daughters and a, and a um, son, and I'm so very blessed and proud of them. And I'm happy to be with you. I was telling Mark that you folks are doing a wonderful job as a church family, and I just loved last week. I thought that was, first of all, that room down there was cozy, and people were happy, and it was just a, it was a very uplifting thing to be with you last week. And all week long, I've been looking forward to getting back with you. And through the years, um, I, I've been with you uh, many times, and it's always the most pleasant experience, and I appreciate it more than words can say. I'm a little awkward with this Bible. I got this one downstairs, and Mark mentioned that my wife uh, had some dental surgery today, the kind where they put you to sleep and all that, and that started out early this morning. And my day has been a bit frenzied uh, as a result of that. And I told her, I said, baby, if I need to stay here with you, then and she said, no, go on, go on. She wants me out of there because she doesn't want to see me. She's still kind of half paralyzed. You know, she said, oh, okay, go ahead. And so um, I just uh, uh, had a text conversation with her just before I came in the church building. She's fine. But I had my Bible, the one that I told you had been all over the world and all over the United States. I had it laid out on the bed, just in my usual routine uh, customary way of getting ready to go preach and uh, then I went to check on her one more time and then grabbed my little uh, satchel here and forgot to put the Bible in it but that's okay because I know enough Bible uh, that I can talk to you a long time without uh, referring to or opening the scripture but I wouldn't do you that way because I want you to read along with me so what I want to do now is advance a little bit and I want you to, if you're willing to, to take down this contact information. 
in case I can be a blessing to you in some way, in case you need me. Um, and, and, you know, I'm always praying for people. Uh, and if you need one more person to be praying for you or for some of your loved ones, that's my email address and that's my phone if you want to text me. And I, I, I get a lot of this. And, um, um, and I'm always happy that someone trusts me enough to ask me to pray for them. And so let me know if I can be a blessing to you. Or just email me with any question or comment. And if I mess up in some way, let me know and I'll straighten it out and fix it uh, next week. So uh, that's my contact info. I was at um, the Farley Church of Christ, uh, south of Huntsville. Anybody know that little congregation? And uh, it was on a Wednesday night a couple of months ago. And so at the, I spoke, and then at the end of the message, a um, gentleman got up to lead the closing prayer. I started to say a young man, but I would guess he would be about 52. And it's according to how old you are as to whether or not that would be a young man. Amen? I remember when, when, I remember when my mother was in her 20s, and I thought she was an old lady. I mean, you know, she, uh, 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 I was born when she was 18. I was the, her first child. And so um, by the time I was up uh, old enough, she was an old lady to me. So anyway, this guy, I would guess him to be 52. I don't know how old he is, but I would. He, he led a closing prayer. And as soon as it was over, I jumped up and shook hands with him. I said, brother, your prayer is better than my, than my message was tonight. And he said, oh, thanks. He said, I enjoyed your message. He said, and I, and I said, but it was just a, I said, I felt like you knew you were talking directly to the Lord. You weren't just mouthing words. You, I said, you did a great job. He said, I've had a hard year. And he said, I guess it's helped me to learn to pray better. That's what he said. I said, tell me about it. He said, well, I lost my job, and then I had to have back surgery, and then our son killed himself, and then my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer and had to have radical surgery, and tomorrow she's, we go in for some reconstructive surgery. And by this time, I'm just, and, he's, and he's, there's tears in his eyes, and I put my hands on his shoulder, and I said, what's your name? He said, Mickey. I said, what's your wife's name? He said, she's right back there, and he pointed, and he said, Cressy. Not Chrissy, Cressy. And I said, Mickey, I'm going to pray for you and Cressy every day. And I said, I'm going to tell other people to pray for you. And I've been faithful to that promise. I've prayed for those folks at least once a day, every day since then. And I've been telling other people, send one up for Mickey and Chrissy. They've had a hard year. And I know that you know, perhaps you walked down the same terrible road over this last year, or you've had years in your life like that, or you have loved ones who have had a tough year. But... Share it with other people and, and let, let us know and we'd be honored and privileged to pray with you and for you. So that, that's the reason I want you to have my contact information. If I can be a blessing to you by praying for you, then I want to do it.
there's a copy of my picture of my book, and um, I, I brought a copy of it with me tonight, and this is what I'm teaching out of. And don't think that I'm trying to sell you a book because actually I'm not. I, I, and I'll tell you more about that later. I'd like for you to have my book. Um, I, I've got a goal to, to uh, distribute about 20 of these books or more at Midway during this month. But um, I've never sold this book. I've got thousands of them out. And what I do is I give them away, but there's a catch to it. But it's not a catch if I tell you it's a catch, okay? The catch is, is that I, um, I want to print more of these books. And so I want to give you this book, if you want it, in exchange for a gift so that I can go to any church uh, that wants me to come and speak for them, regardless of their ability to, to pay anything, any of my expenses or whatever, and so I can print more of these books to give away. And John back there, raise your hand back there, John. That church where you were last year at this time, that's one of those churches that needs help. And um, I, um, I was there a year ago and preached for them. And I would go any time uh, that they needed me, regardless of their ability to help me with my expenses or anything. And the reason I do that is because I learned a long time ago that you can't sell books in the church. Some people might, but I never try. But you can give them away, and you can get more money for them if you'll give them away. It's just a strange thing, because people are generous. And so I'd like for you to have my book if you want it. They make good gifts, graduation gifts, birthday gifts. One guy down at East Walker the East Walker Church of Christ, he said, I want a box of them. And he said, I travel a lot. And he said, what I do is when I leave the motel room, I always leave something for the people who clean up the room. He said, I want to leave a copy of your book. Every time I leave a motel room, I want to leave a copy of your book on the bed. And I said, well, terrific. So there's a lot of ways in which this book can be able to... And by the way, Add something to it. Put in, put in your, in your, in the best way you can. Put the plan of salvation in there. Your contact information, if you want to, something like that. If you want to um, share it and give it away and to evangelize with it. Okay, we're backing up now, and um, this is where we left off last week. And I'm not going to rush this because there are two reasons why I'm not going to rush this. The first reason is I can't get through all the stuff in the book anyway, not in, not in four Wednesday nights. And I've quit even trying. It's just it's too, it's too frustrating. And so, what, and so I like to, uh, instead, I like to just get as far as we get. Maybe you'd like me to come back sometime and do some more of this material. But I chose to begin this series with you and let me say that I really like the way you're doing VBS. And I've been telling people about what Midway's doing. And, uh, you know, doing it on Wednesday nights like this. I like that. And these two astronauts up here, I just love those guys. And I told them, I met them downstairs, and I told them that they're doing a great job. Okay, so this is where we left off, because we're talking about it's how important it is to determine to make a difference. And so we defined what a leader is last week by something I saw on TV uh, that was inspired by Terry Bradshaw, the uh, retired Pittsburgh Steeler quarterback. So that's last week. Now moving on to new material. Life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want, but you can only spend it once. I repeat, life 
is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want, but you can spend it only once. So, that's, that's paramount right there that we understand that. And since we have this one life to live, how do we go about managing our lives in such a way that, first of all, is within the will of God, and secondly, maximizing, maximizes our potential? Well, we've got to realize that we are a spirit. Remember last week, I asked you a question. Are you a body with a soul, or are you a spirit housed in a body for a little while? And I ask you to please realize that you are a spirit housed in a body for a little while. So that scripture you see, the first one there, Galatians 6, 8, just reminds us if we sow to the flesh, that means if we just are just about body, just about the flesh, just about the material, just about the temporary, if that's, what, if that's just all that we are about, then we're sowing to corruption, the scripture says. But if we sow to the Spirit, then we're sowing to life eternal because we, we, that's what we actually are. We are spirits housed in a body for a little while. And then, of course, Romans 8, verses 1 through 6 talk about, talks about how important it is for us to walk in the Spirit. And when the Bible uses the word walk, it simply means uh, the way we live. And so we are to live with our spiritual health in mind. Yes, we want to be healthy physically, and we're not to neglect the, our, our physical health, but our spiritual health is so much more valuable and so much more important. And I think I was kind of getting into that when uh, we, we ran out of time last week. And so life, your life, is about spiritual growth. What's spiritual growth about? Spiritual growth is about learning to love. Because, you see, there is nothing more spiritual than love. If you look at the, uh, the many lists of Christian attributes in the Bible, such as in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse, uh, well, beginning in verse 3, and go all the way down to verse 11, and you'll, you'll see those spiritual attributes, and you'll notice that nothing trumps love. Love is always at the top of the heap. There is nothing higher when it comes to spiritual characteristics than love. I mean, there's nothing after love. Once you get to love, you can't find anything above love. There's nothing there. And so when Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 and following, what's the greatest commandment? And that was asked out of an ulterior motive to try to get him in trouble. Uh, but, but he said, the greatest commandment is love. And he said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he said, the second greatest commandment is love also. Love your neighbor as yourself. It is easy for Mark and me to preach these principles. It's easy. Because, uh, uh, I mean, you, you were just, you were just telling you what the Bible says, practicing what the Bible says about love and learning to love is a challenge. So much so that if you live to be 10,000 years old, and if you do live to be 10,000 years old, can you imagine how rough you would look? I mean, I was studying about Jacob recently, and that old coot lived to be 
147 years old. But don't you know he looked like 100 miles of bad road at 147? Um, and, so, and so I don't know. It, it's like uh, I was at the Tuscumbia Church of Christ back a few years ago. And I was sitting on the front pew because I was going to be speaking. And one of the elders, R.N. McMacken, sat down beside me. And um, I said, how are you doing, Brother McMacken? He said, I'm, well, he said, my doctor says I'm doing well. He said, I'm 65. And he said, I had a, had a, a physical uh, and finished up today. And he said, doctor told me whatever I'm doing to keep on doing it. And I said, Brother McMacken, I hope you are good for another 65 years. And he looked at me and he said, Dennis, I don't want another 65 years. You get that? I don't want another 65 years. Which would have pushed him on up to, what, 130? Because he already had enough uh, aches and pains that he knew they'd just grow worse if he lived on and on and on. And so as a result of that, he said, well, I don't know. I'm not looking for and by the way, he didn't get another 65 years. He passed uh, uh, probably at about the age 80 or something like that. And uh, this is fine print, Mark, even with my glasses. This is fine print. I, I borrowed a, a Bible from you downstairs. But spiritual growth is about learning to love. And notice I'm using the word learning because it takes a lot of practice. And even when you practice diligently... It's hard to live the way the Bible tells us to live. But it's mandatory that we realize that our lives are about spiritual growth and that spiritual growth is about learning to love. So let me start in verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4. And um, let me read you some plain language that's easy to read, but I'm, not, I'm going to be straight up with you. It's hard to practice. And, and, it, and it's impossible to practice it perfectly because we're human beings who need a Savior, which means we mess up, which means we can't do it perfectly. But again, here we are in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Well, that's, well, that's a lot said right there. I could preach, and any preacher could preach for a while on verse 7. Listen to verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That means was demonstrated toward us, was shown to us. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. You say, I want proof. I don't just want to hear a preacher tell me that God loves me. I want proof. I want to know that God loves me. Well, there's your proof. The proof is that He sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So I was in Eddyville, Kentucky a while back and uh, their preacher had died at a ripe old age. And one of the elder's wives said to me, oh, I miss him. She said, you know what I miss about him? He always closed every service like this. Remember, God loves you and I do too. Remember, God loves you and I do too. So that was, uh, that was uh, his sign-off. 
And she said, I missed that. Well, what was he, where was he coming from? Well, when you, he was coming from Scripture, and he was coming from passages like uh, 1 John chapter 4. Verse 9, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Verse 10, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So I was telling you about our first grandson, Zachary, last week. And I was telling you that uh, when he was four years old, he asked me if I loved God. And I said, I did. And he said, why? And I said, I don't, I said because God loved me first. And he said, but Papa, why did God love you first? And I said, I don't know. I'm just glad he did. Amen. Just glad he did. Well, our son met uh, our beautiful daughter-in-law at Fried Hardeman, and um, they were engaged, and they got married, and, uh, and uh, lived in Florence for a little while, and then they wound up moving to Decatur. One night, they showed up at our house, and my son said, we brought a movie, and I thought, a movie, huh? I don't have the patience to sit in a family setting and watch a movie. What is it going to be anyway? Rocky number seven or something? I don't know. What, you know, this was 22 years ago. But of course, I was still on good behavior because I wanted our daughter-in-law to like, like me, you know. And so I, I was nice about it. I didn't complain. And so this was the VHS tape days, you know. This was bef right before the CD, DVDs. So... He slid that VHS tape into the player, and these murky images started on the screen, and I'm, I'm settling back thinking, oh man, this will take at least 90 minutes, and I, oh, I can't sit still 90 minutes. And then I, I'm looking and I'm thinking, hold on, wait a minute, this is not a Hollywood movie. And I began to get a little more interested. Matter of fact, I lean in, and I'm thinking, is this a sonogram? And I looked over at my son. He got this big smile on his face, you see. And I get a little bit more interested. And I'm leaning in and I'm, and I'm thinking, hold on, wait a minute. This is no ordinary movie. This means there's a baby growing in that beautiful young woman's womb. I got excited. I'm thinking, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. You know, and I'm looking... And I'm checking real close, you know. All of a sudden, I sat up and I said, it's a boy, right? And they both just laughed. And they, yeah, I went out the next day and bought a song called You Will Be Blessed. And, I, and, and because that was just going to be his. And all my kids have been given theme songs. Like my daughter, Isn't She Beautiful, uh, Stevie Wonder. And our first daughter, second daughter is You Are So Beautiful. I picked these songs out before they were born. And I picked Zach's song, You Will Be Blessed. And here's what happened. I decided to love Zach. I decided. Before he was born, I decided to love him. You get that? Well, that's the way it is with God. When the Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that means that God had his mind made up to love us. No matter what, 
So you, you see, you can't do anything to get God to love you. He already loves you. You, can't, you can knock yourself out trying to get him to love you more, and he can't love you more because he loves you with all his heart. You can't do anything to make him stop loving you. You don't have the power and ability to make him stop loving you. He's going to love you. He might not approve. You might break his heart. You might disappoint him, but you can't make him stop loving you. Amen. Now, what are we to get from this? Well, we're, spiritual growth is about learning to love in that way. And that's hard work for a mere mortal. That's hard to do. But it's a, it, it, it is the, the uh, standard, it's the gold, it's the gold standard, you might say. It's the goal we want to strive and, and to achieve, to reach. So, I didn't know if Zach was going to love me or not. I just knew I was going to love him. And I know every grandparent can, can uh, relate to this. I didn't know if he was going to be a little snot-nosed brat who didn't, you know, love and appreciate his papa. I didn't know. But I just knew there was nothing he could do to make me not love him. And if I had my Bible with me, I could show you a picture of Zach and, and our other grandchildren. I really doubt if he's got a picture of me in his Bible. You know what I mean? I really doubt if he calls his friends around and says, and get, maybe gets his wallet out and say, hey, come here. He talks with a deep voice, you know. And he, you want to see something cute? Let me show you a picture of my pawpaw. You know, he, that's not going to happen. You know why, don't you? Because, you see, I'm the picture carrier because I loved him first. And God, so to speak, in a, in a, in not in a literal, literal sense, but God has a picture of you he carries around because he loved you first. And, of course, you don't have a picture of God because he's a spirit, amen? And, and as a result of that, you don't see a spirit. You just see what God Almighty does. You see this universe, this creation, Psalm 19:7. So it's a lifetime process of learning to love. And you just look at people who have lived in the Lord and walked in the light, that means according to God's will, when they get old. You say, my grandma was the sweetest, kindest, most gentle, most generous person that I ever knew. You know, you know why, don't you? If she'd lived in the Lord all those years, she had been practicing learning to love. And, and as we practice learning to love, then, then we are fulfilling our life's purpose because our purpose is exactly that. Now, remember that this whole message is about determining to make a difference. Demonstrated love cannot help but make a difference. In our neighborhood, in our congregation, on the job site, wherever we are, when we demonstrate love, it's one thing to learn love, but you've got you to gotta do more than learn about it. You've got to apply it. You've got to learn how to show it. You, that God says, I've shown you my love by sending my son to rescue you. I want you to show your love by the way you treat people. And yes, we are to give our own family, our own church family, our, the members of the church, our fellow Christians, preferential treatment. Uh, we are. We're, we're just, we're to give. But that does not mean that we are uh, to discount the way we treat the outsiders, the, the rest of the world. Because remember, the Bible says in Galatians 6.10 that we're to do good unto 
all men, but especially to the household of faith. But we're to do good to all men. So on the way down here, I stopped at a shell station to gas up my car because my car refuses to run without gas. They just will, and so I had to gas it up. So a lady pulls in on the other side of the pump in a um, F-350 flatbed, diesel. And she, uh, she gets out, and she leaves the thing running, and I'm, I'm gassing up, and I'm just, I smiled and nodded at her. And she's, she says, uh, and she's looking for the place to put the, 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 the nozzle, and she couldn't find it. And I'm thinking, I don't have a long time to tarry, but, uh, and, she, and so she looked at me, she said, must be on the other side. She jumped in the truck and, and pulled around, made a big circle, and came back. But this time, I'm getting interested, and I'm just about finished. And there's no nozzle on either side of that truck. She was not, I don't know what the deal was. Well, I had to help her, you see. And I'm thinking, what in the world? And I said, well, hold on, you know. And we're both circling that truck. And finally I left. I said, I wish I could help you, but I don't know what to do. Um, because we, neither, neither of us could find. I've never seen a truck you couldn't find a place to put the diesel fuel in. I've never seen one before. But I saw one tonight. And what was I doing? Well, I was trying to practice Galatians 6.10, which is linked to Christian love, and I was trying to do good and help her, even though I wasn't able to do it. I tried. I really did. And so uh, I don't know what it, She was on her cell phone when I left. I apologized to her. I said, I wish I could help you, but I can't. i got to go. So we're, we are in the business of demonstrating love. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrated his own love toward us. He demonstrated his own love toward us. It's one thing to talk love. It's another thing to demonstrate. And that's why 1 John 3.18 says, let's not just talk love and say we love people, but that scripture says, but let's practice love. Let's demonstrate love in word and in truth. I'm reading Phil Robertson's book, Happy, Happy, Happy. And I recommend that book to you. I didn't much think I'd like it. My mom bought it at a, at a thrift store. The Blue Door. She buys 50-cent books. And she's always she's thinking, and she'll bring me books. You know, she'll say, I think you'll like this. And some of them I don't particularly. But anyway, I got in this book and, um, and started reading it. And, um, and I, I like it. But he tells in the book <clears throat> about... Uh, how one night he went, he, he goes to bed early and he gets up early. That he'd already kind of fallen to sleep and Miss Kay shook him. And he, he kind of aroused and, and she said, Phil, do you love me? And he said, well, yeah, yes. And she said, well, why don't you ever write it to me? And he said, he was so sleepy. He said, oh. And he gets on back to sleep. And so the next morning he gets up before Miss Kay, puts on his hunting outfit, goes in the kitchen, finds some paper, and here's what he wrote. Dear Miss Kay, I love you. I always have. I always will. Sign Phil. Or no, love Phil. I read that and I thought, I think I'll do that. And so my wife had gone to get groceries 
And when she got back, I in a conspicuous place where I knew she'd see it, I said, Dear Miss Freda, I love you. I always have. I always will. Love, Dennis. And I signed it. It actually was on, on uh, July the 5th, and I signed July 5th, 2018. Now that will be, that after I'm dead and gone, that will be in her among her keepsakes, you understand. She'll never throw that away. But anyway, she calls me. I'm away from home. She said, what's going on with you? <laughs> and I said, what? She said, I got that note. I said, you like it? She said, I sure did. Well, what am I doing? It's more than, of course, you know, it's one thing to say you love somebody. It's one thing to write you love somebody. It's another thing to treat them like you love them. And that's what I'm advocating for tonight, and that's to treat people like we love them. And of course that applies in different ways, and I know you've been taught about the four Greek words uh, that, uh, that are translated love in English, but there's storge love, which means family love, like you love your parents and your children, your brothers and sisters. And there's eros for the way you love your spouse if you're married. And there's philia for the way you love your friends. And then there's agape, for the way you love people that you don't even like. For people who won't help you even though you're willing to help them. For people you don't even know. And let me define agape love. Here's the definition of agape love. The sincere desire for the welfare and best interest of others. And that's why we'll pray for how many of those little boys was it? Was it 11 uh, in the cave in Thailand? Was it 11 or 10? Something like that. And their coach, 12 and all, right? Is that what it was? 11 boys and the coach, I think. By the way, I've been to Thailand. And once you've been to, uh, I've been several times, but once you've been to a country and then you, you hear in the news about some catastrophe, whether it's a tsunami or whatever it might be, or a volcano, you have a, or if something happens in Romania after you've been there, Ed, you, you, you feel it. You, you're con- I mean, you know those people. You breathe the same air they breathe, and you've, it's a special connection to them. But agape love is for people you don't even know. They're, you've never been to, maybe to China. Uh, you, you, you figure you'll never cross paths with them, but you care about them. That's why you want to get the gospel to them, because you have agape love. And again, agape love is the sincere desire for the welfare and best interest of others, which Jesus even includes your enemies in that crowd. Now, you don't have to love them the way you love your spouse. You don't love them the way you love your best friend. You don't love them the way, it's not the same kind of love, but it is a love. And so life is about learning to demonstrate love. And again, it's hard work. So when Jesus said, that he wants us to be the salt of, and well, he says we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. What he's saying is, I want you to be the kind of people who make a difference in this world. And let me, let me by wrapping this chapter up, let me go back to where I started last week. You make a difference in this world by the principles that we've talked about and by becoming salt and light and by changing self. And as you change self, you will change others. Because it alters the chemistry of humanity and it cannot help but to change others. 
Now we're moving to new material. Life is like a coin. You can spin it any way you want, but you can spend it only once. We've already said that. So the Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, actually this is quoting Jesus, that the thief comes to steal and kill. But I, Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And when we read 1, John, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, that scripture starts out by saying, He who would love life. He who would love life. And so the title of this chapter, and this is the first chapter in the book, is Believe You Will Live Forever. Believe that. Why would you believe that you're going to live forever? You say, but Dennis, I, I, uh, uh, you told us last week that uh, uh, the outward man is aging day by day. The inner man is becoming newer day by day. But um, now you're saying you want us to believe we're going to live forever. Well, that's how you make your life count. Knowing that you are a spirit and that a spirit is forever. And I was in Huntsville um, back in the spring. And one brother, he kept looking at that slide and he said, uh, is that a stamp up there? And I said, yeah. He said, well, what, what, what does the stamp mean? I said, that's a forever stamp. That's when you buy one of those, you know, 20 years from now, it'll still work. It's a forever stamp. I guess it'll work a million years from now, as far as I know, if our government will still honor it. But it's a forever stamp. Well, you, are, you have forever stamped on you, so to speak, in that it's very important for you to believe you're going to live forever. Now, let's go to John chapter 6. And uh, I, uh, here we go. <clears throat> the Gospel of John. And not only do I have this Bible over in Psalms, I've got it upside down. So let me get it, let me get it right. The Gospel of John chapter 6. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. Jesus knew what his life was about and what the purpose of his life was. And sometimes you determine the purpose of your life by knowing what your purpose is not. And when we get around to finding your purpose, I will, uh, I'll give you some practical instruction on that. For here Jesus says, I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up the last day. Now notice he's saying that he's going to raise it up the last day. What is that it? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, S-O-N, and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up the last day. So you find out that that it in verse 39 is a person in verse 40. And guess who that person is? Well, it's you and me. We are the persons that will be raised up the last day. Now, when Jesus says anything once, it's important. Amen? I mean, uh, if he wants us to get it. 
If he says it more than once, then, uh, well, he really wants us to understand something. Look at verse 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, that's, that is um, spiritually speaking, of course, has eternal life. And I will raise him up or her up the last day. He said it again. So I know that he wants us to get the message that this life is not all he has in mind for us. He wants us to realize that we're going to live forever. Verse 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. And by the way, he's already said in preceding verses that he is the bread of life. And now he's saying, I want you to know that if you will, that if you will understand this spiritual message, then you'll be understanding that you're going to live forever. And I thought I had one more that where he says the same thing, but I don't, uh, I don't notice it. But anyway, the point is made from John chapter 6 that we are forever beings and that we will be raised up on the last day. Have you made your funeral arrangements yet? Um, I don't want to be morbid, but you ought to go ahead and if you're, you know, if you're, uh, if you are of age, you ought to go ahead and do it. So it won't be put on your family to have to do um, I think I told this last week, but my mom, 88 years old, and she's amazing. By the way, I've told you about that thrift store, that, um, that uh, blue door where she buys 50-cent books. She came, she showed up at my place uh, unannounced uh, last Friday. And here she comes on her walking stick, and she's got this game face on, and she's got a book in her hand, and she's going, and I said, come on in, Mom, sit down. And she said, okay, okay. So she sits down, gets her walking stick arranged there, and uh, she had a, a, a romance novel in her hand. And it was yellowed like it was about 20 years old. She said, you see this book? She said, I just bought it at the blue door. She said, I was looking at books, and she said, I put, picked this one up off the shelf, and she said, I thumbed through it, and she said, I stopped at one place, and there was some money. She said, I looked at it, she said, I lost my place, and I thumbed through again, I found it again, and she said, and she pulled it out, and it was three $100 bills, three $100 bills. I said, Mom, what did you do? She said, I bought that book. <laughs> what she did. She said, they just wanted 50 cents for it, you know. She said, I bought it. I said, what you going to do with the money, Mom? And I, Because I know my mom. She said, I'm going to use it to help people. And she said, I want to help Cooper. Cooper's her grandson, one of her many grandsons, who uh, is running on, a, on a, one of these little donut spare tires, you know. Because he can't afford to buy it. She said, I'm going to buy him a tire. That's one thing she said I'm going to do. And she'll give all that money away. You know what I think? I think somebody put that money in there on purpose. Because what that story is about is people give things that, that way to bless other people. I think somebody put that money on there just to, with a happy thought. I can just see the look on somebody's face. You know, if I lose some money, sometimes I'll misplace some money. 
uh, uh, maybe 20 bucks or something like that. You know what I always think? I hope somebody who really needs it finds it. Because that's, that, that's, the, that, that's, the way you, that's the way you want to be. Okay, anyway, my mom, she said, Son, let's go to the monument place. And um, so uh, we go, and she orders her monument, designs it. And, and you know what she wants on it? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And she said, I want my children's name on the backside, my name and all that. And uh, then she said, uh, let's go to the cemetery. And we go, we're going to be buried at the Antioch Cemetery, Antioch Church of Christ. And um, she said, uh, and this is where you just make a donation. And then when, you, when you're buried there, then they, she said, no, I want, my, I want my plot. I want to know where it is. And I want my monument already set up so you kids don't have to deal with it. She said, I want to see where I'm going to pop up out of that ground on Resurrection Day. She said, I want to see the spot. While I'm still alive, I want to do it. And that's just so much like her. But anyway, I don't know if you have arranged to where you're going to be buried or more and more people being cremated these days. And by the way, it doesn't matter what condition your remains are in on Judgment Day, Resurrection Day, God can handle it. It'll make, whether you've gone back to the dust or you're in ashes or dissolved in the sea or the sky or whatever, it'll be all right. But he said, I'm going to raise you up the last day, and, I'm, and there, where I am, there you will be also. You're going to be with me. So it's very important to believe you're going to live forever. And you say, why is that important? Because it makes a difference in the way you live your life in the flesh. Because when you realize that you are a forever being, you, you know the old saying, well, what difference will it make 100 years from now? A lot. That's, that's what difference it will make 100 years from now, and 1,000 years and a million years from now. So knowing that you're going to live forever helps you make better choices, better decisions. It'll, it'll cause you to get, go ahead and do something that you know you ought to do, something good to help somebody else that you ordinarily would maybe put off thinking, oh, i got plenty of time, except you don't in the flesh. You do in the spirit, but you don't in the flesh. And so we're raised to live forever. I think I probably need to stop. What did you, you know, somebody said 15 till, or where are we? I can stop at any point and take up where we left off. Anybody got any advice for me? I can talk a couple more minutes if you need me to. Or Seven minutes. What, what advice do you have? Seven okay, so you want me to go a few more minutes. All right. I have read, as, as I know you have, every book in the Bible. I've read every word in the Bible, but you know what happens to me? I drift off. And I can check it off and say, yep, I've read, I've read this, read that. So I was reading Ecclesiastes not so long ago, but it was right before I wrote this book. And I saw a scripture that I promise you I've read it before, but I had, it had never went, you know, ding, 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 ding. It just had never registered. You ever had somebody to say, man, look at that airplane up there. Boy, that thing must be, that must be 45,000 Mile feet in the air, whatever you know, and you look and you say, "Where? I don't see it." And they'll say, "Well, let's just look right up there, right there. Look, look right up there. You see that cloud that looks like a pony, just over to the left a little bit. See, look, look right there." And you look and you say, "I don't see it." And they'll say, "Well, look." And then you look again, and you see it. And it was there all the time. You just didn't see it. Well, that's the way Ecclesiastes three eleven was with me. Now. <clears throat> 
the English translations of Scripture, sometimes you need to consult several in order to get the full meaning of uh, some, some Scriptures. Ecclesiastes 3.11 is like that. But if you will read 12.15 English translations of Ecclesiastes 3.11, you're going to come up with a composite translation. And here is basically what you're going to come up with. God has put eternity in our hearts. And I know some translations say their hearts, but it's talking about us when it says there. God has put eternity in our hearts. Have you ever stood at the bedside, and, and all preachers have, um, of someone who was not going to make it? And then they say something kind of like this. If something happens to me, I want you to be sure. You know, I've had people to tell their loved ones to be sure they take care of so-and-so, you know, some, somebody else in the family. You know, take care of them. Well, see, you know that something is going to happen to them, but they don't, they're not exactly sure. Why is that? It's because of what Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. It's innate within us to feel like that we're really not going to die. And why is that? Because God has infused eternity into our hearts. We see other people die. We go to funerals. We visit cemeteries. And we've lost loved ones and neighbors. But to think that we're going to die, we're thinking, mm, I might get sick, but uh, my dad didn't think he was going to die. As a matter of fact, the day I took him to the hospital for the last time, this was a rush, you know, to the emergency room. He said to me, just struggling to breathe, maybe that doctor can get me straightened out this time. And I didn't want to say, Dad, he can't, get, he can't straighten you out. I mean, it's just too late. You've got lung cancer. You're terminal. They've, they've quit. They don't know what else to do for you. But he didn't think he was going to die. Now, I realize that some people are in such pain that they want to die just to get relief from the pain. But God has put eternity in our hearts. So that's why we think we're somehow, some way, we might, we're going to pull out of this illness. We're going to get over it. We're going to, you know, it's not going to be us who gets killed on the highway. It's not going to be us who gets some kind of deadly disease. It's not going to be us who goes down in the plane crash. It's other people. But God has put eternity in our hearts, and somehow we're just going to live on. I mean, we, we don't want to actually say that because we know better, but God has put eternity in our hearts. That's an amazing scripture. And then Romans 6.23. How many times have you heard us grouchy old preachers preach the first part of that? The wages of sin is death. And we go, well, you could maybe have said that a little more gentle, preacher. But sometimes the preacher doesn't emphasize the rest of that verse, which is this. But the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life. That goes on and on and on. So believing that we are going to live forever is simply accepting the truth of God's Word. We are forever beings. 
We are built to last. Not in the fleshly form, but in the spiritual form, spirit form, we are built to last. And we will live on and on and on. But not in the form in which we're in now. There is a book called the book of death, right? No. It's called the book of life. The book of life. So let's go to uh, Luke chapter 17. And this is where the Lord has sent out the, in the limited commission, he sent out some of his disciples. And they have some good success. And they get some good results. And they are excited about it. This is Luke 10, I meant to say, not Luke 17. Um, and so they come back and report to the Lord how their trip went, how their mission trip went. And I love to come back and report on mission trips. It's just, it's a, so verse 17, then the 70 returned with joy. We had a good trip saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, and I'm sure he smiled when he said it, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. By the way, lightning is not a, an illustration of heaven any more than a dove uh, is an illustration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, you know, I try to find graphics sometime when I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. And if you go on the internet, most of the time you're going to wind up with an image of a bird. But the scripture says the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus when he was baptized like a dove. Like a dove would come down and, you know, didn't say he was a dove. And the scripture is not saying that Satan is like lightning. So, but, but so Jesus is just using, uh, well, colorful, illustrative language to say, I saw him. And what he's talking about is that he, he saw the ultimate defeat of Satan. And you say, well, you said he smiled when he said that. Well, I just believe he did. The Bible doesn't say. But how do you picture Jesus? Do you picture him as a, as a frowner and a scowler and all, you know, you know, just like there's something irritating him to death? He got up on the wrong side of the bed and he's grouching and he's just waiting on somebody to cross him. You know, is that, a, or do you picture Jesus with a, sometimes a, with a, he's kind and gentle and loving? I would recommend that you think of the Lord as, Kind and gentle. Well, anyway, he says, I saw lightning. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He says, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing by shall any means hurt you. He's telling these people that. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. In other words, don't get so carried away that I'm giving you these kinds of of powers, temporary powers. He said, I got something for you. I went to a funeral not long ago, and um, it was too long, and it had too many preachers, and so finally a preacher gets up, and he says, I know this has gone on for a while, but he said, but I got something for you. And sure enough, he did. He had a good, quick message, but it was, he, he had something worth listening to. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, verse 20, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You're registered. You've got a uh, reservation. 
And by the way, you've got to be, you got to be, uh, you got to get your reservation. Revelation 21, 27. Got to get your name in that book of life. And why is it called the book of life? Because it's for people who are going to live forever and ever and ever. Amen. So when Paul in Philippians 4, verse 3, uh, wants to greet certain people, he, he lists their names. And he says, these and others are people whose names are in the book of life. And when you become a Christian and your sins are forgiven, then your names are written in the book of life. Which means in preacher talk that when you get to heaven, they'll say, welcome. We got your name right here. Come on in. You got a reservation. You got a place to stay. We got you a nice place in the mansion. Got you a good room. Plenty of room. Because you sent reservations on ahead. So believe you're going to live forever. And believe that your name is written in the book of life. That makes a difference in the way you manage this life. I'm sensing that it's time for me to bring this in for a landing We'll get to registered in heaven when we start up next week. Come on in, Brother James. Thanks for your kind attention.
We'll go ahead and make a few announcements tonight as before Brother Dennis gets up here to extend the Lord's invitation for us. There are several on our sick list that we want to continue to remember. Uh, Paisley Williams uh, is making some progress after her liver transplant, so keep her in your prayers. Uh, Jim Daniel remains in hospital in Memphis. Uh, ben Swam uh, suffered a heart attack last week. He's a friend of Billy Thompson and uh, Chris Dukes. Also, Ruth Barnett, I don't have any updated information this afternoon, but she is not doing well. Uh, she was not able to be moved to the, uh, to the nursing home. She is the mother of James Barnett. Uh, Sister Donna Barnett uh, is her daughter-in-law. Also, remember, continue to remember, uh, Kelly Deal, uh, Tommy Fields, and Gail, uh, Gail Gillett, both are not, uh, or both are having some health problems. Also, Chris Wright will be undergoing some tests. Keep him in your prayers. Harper Smith, the friend of Lily Banks, had her, uh, uh, her, well, I forget what you call it now, but the cochlear implant on her ear. Uh, I think it, everything went well with it, so uh, we're thankful for that. Continue to remember Kelly Blanton, Brenda Jones, Brenda Abner. Grace and Tommy Gray, uh, Doug Grace and Paulette Thompson, and so many who are in our uh, prayers and on our prayer list. Also one other that we want to mention tonight, Hadley Keaton will be having surgery on her thumb on July the 23rd, so keep her in your prayers. We also want to extend our sympathy and condolences to Jenna Keaton in the passing of her grandmother, uh, Miss Betty Honeycutt, her funeral was this past Sunday. A couple of other announcements, well, uh, one more. Uh, Sister Patty Sue Crump, uh, she's down here at the bottom of the sheet here, was taken back to Princeton this afternoon. Uh, she's having some difficulties with losing blood again, so uh, pray for her and that the doctors will be able to figure out what